Am, am I the only one who yesterday for the first time smelled just the very beginnings of the hint of autumn in the air? I'm not the only one who smelled that yesterday. <laughs> Others of you did. I was sitting on my porch last night on the porch swing and it wasn't dark yet. The sun had started to go down and I thought to myself all of a sudden, I gotta put a sweatshirt on. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. The summer, like it or not, as it always does, is coming to a close. And I would venture a guess that I'm not alone in this also, that I spent the summer so far basically running nonstop from place to place, from thing to thing, from rehearsal to sports team practice to vacation, which is supposed to be restful, but very often is the opposite, <laughs> um, to a weekend trip to go boating or biking or hiking. And if, you, if you've got children, they're probably involved in stuff too. They're at baseball practice and soccer practice and dance lessons and all the things that kids do. And, and, and I don't think I'm the only one who feels like the summer is just like, oh, it's all of a sudden slipping away. You feel that way too? Pretty soon fall is going to be here and the school year will ramp back up and the next thing you know we'll be hearing Christmas music in the mall and uh, be snowing outside. And it feels like I didn't have a chance to enjoy my summer yet. It can't smell like autumn. It's against the rules. Let me tell you something else. I have felt this summer like, probably because of the crazy schedule I've been enjoying, that, that my spiritual life has been kind of totally neglected. And I have not been able to force myself to take the time and slow down and think about the care of my own soul. In fact, some, in some ways, I don't really even like that term spiritual life because it, it, it might imply, if you're not careful, that, that that's something that's kind of separate and ghettoed and, and you know, you, it's protected from everything else in your life when, in fact, it's not, um, as I just proved. <laughs> so it, but we'll work with the term. My spiritual life has kind of been kicked aside somewhat, and I take responsibility for that. But maybe you feel that way, too. Maybe you feel that you've just been going from one thing to another thing to another thing to the next thing all summer long, and there really hasn't been much of a chance for you to slow down and think about caring for your soul. And so we know that if we feel that way, you probably do. And so we decided that for the next few weeks, we're going to do a new series, and we're just going to pause for a little bit and slow our souls and hearts and minds down and concentrate for four weeks on the spiritual life and some, some spiritual practices or disciplines, they're often called, that might be helpful to you in getting that spiritual life tracking again. So that when school starts again and you're worried about Christmas shopping and all that stuff, that maybe you've, maybe you've had a little bit of a chance to, to 
push the reset button somewhat on your busy life schedule. And you've, you've now been able to incorporate something new that will carry you through that busy time. So we're going to do this in sort of a systematic way. And the first week, which is today, we're going to pause daily. We're going to talk about a particular discipline, um, meditation, that you can practice pretty much every day in your life. So pause daily. Next week, we're going to talk about pause weekly. And that's going to be um, the idea of Sabbath rest, which is a discipline that should be practiced about once a week. And as I often joke, this is one of the Ten Commandments, right? Observing the Sabbath. How many people murdered somebody this past week? Uh, Lars, he's an emergency medicine doctor, so. (laughs) Almost. (laughs) I didn't count. (laughs) You didn't murder anybody this week, but did you observe the Sabbath? Did you take a day off from work and rest totally and, and not do any work on one whole day? Probably not. I'm guilty. So we're pretty cavalier about breaking that commandment, even though we think the other ones are so stinking important. But. So next week, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. In the third week of the series, we're going to pause for a monthly discipline, monthly for most of us, at least at first. We're going to talk about spiritual examination and possibly about fasting. So that's kind of a less frequent discipline. And then in the final week of, of the series, we're going to talk about a special type of spiritual practice that most of us will only be able to do about once a year, and that's the practice of a spiritual retreat. Um, now, these, none of these things are, are disciplines that are for experts only. Um, they're, one, they're disciplines that we can all practice. So hopefully, as we go through this series, you'll begin to have some tools to push the pause button on your life. And to grow in your faith. Incidentally, on that last series, or that last week of the series, we're hoping to have a special guest who will come and, and speak to us about retreat. Because um, though all, all of our preaching pastors here at Artisan have done a retreat before, we wouldn't really consider ourselves experts. Hopefully we'll have an expert for you to, uh, to talk about that on the last week of the series. And then uh, the week after that is Labor Day, and we're going to have our Artisan signature BBQ&A. Um, which I love to tell the story. I was talking to a friend and said, yeah, it was the last time we did this. I was talking to a friend and said, we're going to have a BBQ&A next week. And he's like, what's a BBQ&A? It doesn't make any sense. I said, well, it's, it's kind of probably what you think it is. Just think about it. And he said, well, I guess the only thing I could think of that's not this is it would be like a barbecue question and answer session. And I said, that's it. That's what a BBQ&A is. And his response was, oh, only at Artisan. <laughs> so uh, we'll have our BBQ&A on the, the fifth week of this series. But today, we're starting it out, and again, we're talking about a daily discipline. And I want to tell you a little bit about the practice of meditation. And let me ask you a question. When you hear the, the word meditation, what comes to mind for you? You can shout it right out. What do you think of when you hear meditation? Silence? Stillness? Buddhists? Yep. Listening? I'll come back to that one. What? 
Emptying, yeah. I think for most of us who kind of grew up in a, in a fairly traditional Western Christian setting um, or who came to be a part of that setting later in life, we don't really have much of a clue what Christian meditation might look like. And so when we hear meditation, we start thinking about Eastern religion and um, things like Buddhists and emptying the mind and detachment. Okay, these are the things that, that would be your goal if you were meditating in the tradition of an Eastern religion. Uh, Christian meditation is a little bit different where, where instead of trying to empty our minds... We really try to fill our minds. Now, you have to kind of get some junk out of the way before you can fill your mind with the things of God. But that is sort of the goal of meditation, is to fill your mind with Christ. And instead of detaching yourself from the world to kind of achieve a nirvana type of state, the goal is attachment, attaching yourself to God. We'll talk about those things in a little bit more depth as we go through this. But what are some other daily disciplines that you know of? Types of things that you would say a Christian usually would do just about every day. Shout it out. Prayer. Reading the Bible. Those are the two I knew that you would say within the first five seconds. Prayer and Bible reading are the daily disciplines that most evangelical Christians practice. And they are very important. However, I think that meditation is kind of a different take on those that might be ultimately more useful to you at certain times of life, at least. How many of you have a, a devotional book at home that you read or a prayer book that you read? I, I have some of those at home. And, and those can be good, too. I have a little bit of an issue with them sometimes, and here it is. You open it up, August 3rd, at the top you have a little passage of scripture. How much scripture do you get in those devotionals usually? One, two verses, something like that. And then you have six, seven, eight paragraphs of somebody else telling you what they think about that verse. Now this, is, this kind of thing can be very useful when somebody who's been a Christian a long time or has is really in tune with the long historic tradition of Christianity and, and what other people have believed about passages of the Bible, it is good for us to know those things. The problem is you are getting the opinion of that person. It's sort of a third-party solution, if you will. And there's a similar problem with the prayer books. And I have some, some prayer books that I think are really useful um, actually, they're the ones that use scriptures for prayers. And I have some other ones that are not really so useful, I think. Those were ones that were given to me as gifts. <laughs> um, but it's like daily prayers for your kitty cat, you know. And <laughs> I, I don't have any problem with cats. Uh, I kind of do. <laughs> but I don't have any problem with you praying for your cat, I guess. But... But you know what I'm talking about, right? Those books, they're just a little bit shallow. They're just a little bit short. And you just cannot get a whole lot out of them. So my hope is that by describing to you this practice of Christian meditation, you will 
have an alternative to those things that would be just as accessible, just as easy to engage, just as quick to pull out your Bible and start with, but might have a different result for you. And the other thing that this is not is Bible study. Now, I spent countless credit hours studying the Bible, and I don't think that that was all time wasted. Some of it was. Not all of it, though. And so I don't have any problem with studying the Bible. I think it's very appropriate to do that. But this is not Bible study either. So hear that as we get into this. There are a few different ways of accomplishing what I'm calling Christian meditation. But the one I want to focus on today is very simple scriptural meditation. In other words, using the Word of God to guide our practice of meditation. And I've been really influenced in my understanding of this discipline by this book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. Now, some of you have, have kind of taken a small group study of this book uh, with me or with somebody else, and, and if you have read that, you know that it's really, really useful. Um, and today's worship meditation that was on the screen as you came in was a meditation about meditation, which is really meta. But it's Richard Foster who wrote this book, and he's describing what happens in Christian meditation. And this is what he says. What happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. So as you prepare for scriptural meditation, you have to make space to hear what God might have to say to you. Another theologian who I really love, a German theologian, whose name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, wrote this about meditation. He said, just as you do not analyze the words of someone you love, but accept them as they are said to you, some of us do that, <laughs> accept the word of Scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. That is meditation. So, very simply, though not really all that easy, the point is this. In order to prepare ourselves for meditation on the scriptures, we have to listen. That's the key. You have to listen. Very simple, but not easy. In fact, it's really difficult to create that emotional and spiritual space that Foster talked about to listen. Let me tell you why it's difficult for me to listen, and maybe that will speak a little bit to you as to why it might be difficult for you to listen. There are two reasons why it's hard for me to listen. The first one is the noise that I have constantly in my life. It's the noise of 23 Twitter friends whose feeds pop up in my browser all the time. It's the noise of 45 blogs and news websites whose RSS feeds I pull so that every 30 minutes I'm updated on anything that they've updated. It's the noise of my 340 so-called friends on Facebook. I, have, I don't even know 340 people. I don't know how this happened. 
but there are 340 people updating their status numerous times throughout the day, and I, for some reason, feel compelled to find out what they're doing. So noise, and that's just the internet noise, guys, okay? There's other noise that happens in my house that is also distracting. That's just what comes through my Wi-Fi router, man. So noise is the first problem. The second problem is the mirror of that problem, and I think this is increasingly troublesome for people about my age and younger. I'm about 30 years old. If you're over 30, this one may not be quite as much of an issue for you, but if you're under 30, it almost certainly is. And that is that in, in addition to all that input, the Twitter feeds and the blog feeds and the news feeds and everything coming in, I also have a whole crapload of output that I feel compelled to spray out on the Internet. I'm updating my own little Twitter status, and I'm writing in my own blog, and I'm changing my own Facebook status, and I'm uploading photos as if anybody cares. And I, it, it's just this constant stream of noise going out of my life. Noise comes in, noise goes out, noise comes in, noise goes out. I'm the center of my universe. Noise goes out. Let me read you a, a verse from the book of Revelation, which incidentally is not all about scary beasts and goofy end-time prophecy uh, that, that gets painted on murals and yelled about on TBN, okay? Revelation has lots of other good stuff. Um, this is Revelation 3.20, and it's, it's Jesus saying, Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door... I will come into you and eat with you, and you with me. How many of you think that that is a really wonderful evangelistic verse? Jesus knocking on the door of the hearts of the sinners out there. That's Jesus talking to the church. <laughs> Writing, it's in a letter to the church, okay? Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. Apparently their door was closed and Jesus was on the outside. Where is the door of your heart with respect to Jesus? Is it closed? Is it open? If it's closed, he's knocking on it. Can you hear it through all the noise? I know that I often can't. So... The first problem we have to solve is how can we make it possible for us to listen? Let me give you one simple example that hopefully will be symbolic and representative of lots of other things you can do in your life. How many of you have a cell phone on your person right now? I have a cell phone, and I swear this is not just an excuse to show off my shiny new iPhone. I have a cell phone on my person. Let me ask you this. How many of you have turned your cell phone off in the last two days? And I'm not talking about putting it on vibrate to go into the movie theater. I'm talking about you press that red button and hold it. It makes a goofy little chime sound, and then it sits quietly until you tell it to make noise again. How many of you have actually turned it off in the last two days? Okay, I see a few hands. Good. Those of you who did not put up your hands, how many of you turned it off in the last week? Good. One more hand. I am not raising mine yet. <laughs> How many of you turned your cell phone off 
in the last month? Okay, now we're starting to get somewhere. How many of you have never turned your cell phone off since the day you signed the contract? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the boat that I'm in. <laughs> I did turn it off this morning for effect, but I didn't count that, so. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. This may seem a little silly that I'm going to ask you to do this, but I want you to take out your cell phone right now. Get it out of your pocket or your purse or the goofy little clip that you have on your belt and power that sucker off. If you don't know how to do that, again, find the red button, press it and hold it. We might hear some chiming noises, but that's okay. I have to slide on my glass touch screen to turn mine off. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now we have our cell phones off. What if somebody texts us? What are we going to do? <sighs> For me, this would personally just be the very beginning. Because I would need to go home and turn off my wireless router as well. <laughs> Did you know that you can turn those off? Broadband internet is always on, but you can unplug the ethernet cable. How many of you have turned off your internet in the last month? And it doesn't count if all you did was turn it off and turn it right back on because it wasn't working. That does not count. <laughs> I have not turned off my internet. I couldn't tell you the last time I powered off my internet except to cycle the power because it wasn't working. This constant fire hose of information bursting into our lives 24-7. And you have to turn it off if you're going to listen. I do anyway. I, maybe you have a lot more discipline than me. I am no bastion of self-discipline. But, golly, you really probably need to turn that off altogether if you're going to try to do Christian meditation, if you're going to try to listen. So, your cell phones are off. I want to get to scriptural meditation very soon. We're almost there. But first, I want to do a slightly different meditative technique with you. This is something that a pastor did in my church when I was a teenager. And it was really impactful to me. And I, I just assumed he made it up until I got to college and, and was studying for ministry and had to read this book and realized that he probably got it from Richard Foster. It's, a, it's an old Quaker meditative technique, and it's called Centering Down. Um, I call it palms down, palms up. So here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, get comfortable in your seat. If you um, are a head-bowing sort, you can do that. If you're an eye-closing sort, you can do that. And I want you to put your hands out, both of them, out in front of you, palms down, like this. Now I want you to think through the things that are going on in your life. And this is, this is a physical motion that sort of indicates dropping things, okay? We're not turning our palms down to reach and pick something up. We're opening our hands and letting go. And just quietly in your mind, I want you to, to tell God the things that you are letting go, and you're kind of putting these things in God's lap, okay? Your anger at a spouse or friend, your fear that you can't pay the bills this month, the blog post you're hastily composing in your head because you can't wait to get home and put it up. 
let that stuff go. Take two minutes of silence and do that. When you feel like you've let go of enough stuff, I want you to turn your palms up. And this is a posture of receiving from God. Now, some of this may correspond to the things that you released. If you were afraid you couldn't pay the bills, you might say, God, I receive from you the assurance that you will provide for my needs. I receive from you peace about my situation. I receive from me, from you, your love for the person I'm angry at. Palms up for two minutes of silence. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And hopefully, what you're holding now is light. And what you released may have been very heavy. I hope that God gave you back something that was a little easier to carry. So that's a pretty simple meditation exercise. Palms down, palms up. And you can do that on the bus, in your room, on your lunch break, anywhere you are. I actually think it's often a good time to do it right before you try to do another spiritual practice. If you're going to read your Bible, if you're going to try to do scriptural meditation, which we're almost getting to here. Um, if you're going to try to pray, this is a good way to start out. It really does lighten your burden a little bit. So, scriptural meditation, if we've created that emotional and spiritual place and we're ready to listen to the words of scripture, how do we go about it? Well, I would not claim to be an expert in this, but I can give you a few hints that hopefully will help you. The first hint is take small bites. Okay. Again, it's not Bible study. You, you don't need to read the whole chapter, the whole book. You can distill this down all the way to a verse or a phrase or even a word. 
Because if you have too much stuff you're trying to take in at once, you're not going to be able to meditate in this way. You're not going to be able to listen to something very kind of specific that God may want to say to you. Small bites. The second hint is engage your senses. How many senses do we typically use when we read the Bible? One, we see it with our eyes, and it skips directly into our intellect, where we can process it, refine it, and spit it back out as knowledge when the time comes to have a theological debate. Right? I want you, when you're looking at passages of Scripture for the purpose of meditation, to think about all five senses. If you're reading a passage about Jesus on the boat fishing with his disciples, you can see the water. You can hear the water. You can smell the salt air. You can taste the salt on your tongue. You can hear and see and feel that fish flopping on the deck of the boat. This might seem slightly goofy, and I understand that, but I really would like you to try this. Engage all the senses, and that leads into the third hint I have for you, which is to try your best to enter into that story as one of the characters in it. This is particularly useful if you're reading a narrative passage a story about people. It doesn't work quite as well with some other types of scripture. But you can imagine yourself as one of the characters in the story. And in fact, you could take five days, meditate on the same passage once each day, and, and imagine yourself in a different perspective each time. Who has a favorite story about Jesus' ministry from the New Testament? Shout it out. The Good Samaritan. Terrific example. You can meditate on the passage of the Good Samaritan and imagine yourself as the guy who got the crap beat out of him. That would be pretty poignant. You could imagine yourself as the Levite who goes by and thinks, uh, no, I, uh, you'll probably spend it on beer. You could imagine yourself as the Samaritan. You could imagine yourself as the innkeeper who receives this bloody half-dead person and is expected to care for him. Put yourself right into that story and try to engage it as best you can. Use all your senses and focus in on a small little chunk of Scripture. Three pretty simple hints, hopefully useful to you. Now, some places you go... You hear a sermon, or you get a lesson on how to do something, and then you just go home and never try it. One of the things that makes us kind of weird here at Artisan is that we often make you try things right on the spot. <laughs> and today will be no exception. I want to ask you just to take five minutes and practice meditating on Scripture. And the passage I would like you to use is... Psalm 46, which we used as the call to worship at the beginning of our time together tonight. I'm going to read it aloud, and it will be on the screen, but I would encourage you to grab one of the Bibles underneath your chair, because if I'm going to ask you to focus in on a small phrase or words, or word, then you probably 
want to have the whole passage at your disposal, and the screen does not have it all in one screen. So this is on page 450 in those red Bibles, and it's Psalm 46. I will read it to you aloud, slowly, and then we're going to play some soft music for five minutes, and I want you to try this for yourself, okay? Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains treble, tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So, again, if a, if a particular phrase or a verse jumped out at you, go right back to that. Feel and see and smell and touch and hear what's happening in this psalm. If you can, even though it's not a narrative passage, engage it. Be present in it. Take about five minutes. Give this a shot. We'll play some soft music for you.
Take about one more minute. Okay, that's been about five minutes, and you're probably, I hope at least, thinking, I could have stood to do that a little bit longer, I wasn't quite done yet. Um, if you're not, that's okay, it doesn't make you a bad Christian. <laughs> uh, but you can see how, if you wanted to really kind of focus in on something, you could spend more like 15 or 20 minutes on this um, without too much effort. You know, just for what it's worth, let me explain to you the experience that I had meditating on this psalm this morning when I did it. For some reason, I was really drawn to, in those early verses, all the imagery about the mountains shaking in the sea and the waters roaring and foaming. And so I spent my meditation time trying to put myself on that ocean and feeling the seasickness from the storm, and hearing the thunderclaps, and feeling the earth shake deep in the waters, and, and the, the water coming up over the boat, and, and feeling that kind of really abject terror that, that you would feel if you were in the situation being described in that psalm. And it really started to hit home for me. And so I, I went back to the beginning of the psalm, and what does the beginning of that psalm say? You, yeah. <laughs> so having really kind of accessed this, this terrified sense of being in the midst of a, of a really awful natural disaster, I reread these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change. And you may imagine that those words took on a little bit of a different meaning for me, having read the verses that come after it. That's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily get when you breeze through this and read a psalm in two seconds and, and go on to the next one to see how many you can do in one day. And I know that all of you had a different experience of this, uh, and I would encourage you, if possible, at some point tonight, maybe over dinner, we're going to have dinner together a little later, if you're feeling brave, start a conversation about that. So what happened with you when you did that meditation on Psalm 46? How was your experience? What was it like? And in sharing with each other what happened and what your experiences were, you may be a blessing to one another may help each other kind of understand different parts of this passage. So that's basically it. Um, I hope that that is something that you can take home with you and practice this week. Uh, if you're looking for suggestions about passages, I can talk to you afterward. You can, you can come and talk to me, and I'll give you some hints with that. But we're going to take our communion now. 
celebrate at the Lord's table together. And just before we do that, I have two verses from a different psalm that I think will prepare our hearts for um, taking communion together. This is Psalm 63, 5 and 6. And I don't think this is on the screen. I apologize. It says, My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. And my mouth praises you with joyful lips when I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. How appropriate to be meditating on that verse when we come to the table together. If you are a follower of Jesus, seeking to know him in this place, our communion table is open for you. Take a piece of bread, dip it in either wine or the non-alcoholic juice, whichever would be more appropriate for you. And in doing that, you'll begin to experience the unity of sharing in the table together. You'll be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And you'll receive that as spiritual food that would satisfy your soul as with a rich feast. We're going to sing some other worship songs together um, before we go. But this table is open now, and it will be open for the rest of our time together. I invite you to come as you hear the call of the Lord.